I'm going to begin this morning by playing a song for you. Some of you may be familiar with the song, some may not, but your assignment as the song is playing is that the lyrics will be on the screen, and I want you to pay close attention uh, to the lyrics uh, as, as we play this song. So we're going to play the whole thing uh, because it's a powerful song. It's an important, I think, for us to really uh, set our minds on what we're going to be talking about this morning. So listen as this song plays and pay close attention. How many of you have heard that song before? Good number of you. It comes from uh, the movie Prince of Egypt, uh, which is a sort of late 90s animation film that tells the story of Moses and uh, God's rescue of the children of Israel from Egypt, uh, taking them on their way to the promised land. The thing I love about that song, that version was sung by uh, Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston, probably two of the greatest singers uh, of all time. What I love about that version is is it's asking an important question. It's acknowledging that faith is hard. That if we're honest, it's difficult to believe that yes, great things happen when we believe, but it can be hard to believe. And like good art, it's sort of like prompting you to think about life and to ask the question, what do you do if you're struggling to believe? What do you do if you're having a hard time having faith? In fact, the words in the song are so really rich and theologically powerful. I just want to take a minute uh, to look at a few of them because I think they're asking really good questions and alluding to something really theologically quite important. So if you look in the first verse, uh, the songwriters, we'll call them Mariah and Whitney, even though they didn't write the song, they're the ones singing it. Uh, They say this, we were moving mountains long before we knew we could. That's actually really insightful to say that, you know, there's been somebody helping us. There's somebody been doing something and we didn't really understand all that was happening. Uh, But because of this sort of outside help, we've been able to do more than we ever thought we could. Uh, In the second verse, yet now I'm standing here. My heart is so full I can't explain Seeking faith and speaking words I never thought I'd say. Again, this acknowledgement is that sometimes we find ourselves saying stuff, believing something, acknowledging something, and wonder, where did that come from? Where were those even words? How how did I get those words to say that thing? How did I make it through this? And then this idea comes out probably most powerfully in the last verse. They don't always happen when you ask. You know, we pray for lots of things and we don't always get them. And it's easy to give in to your fears. But when you're blinded by your pain, can't see the way, get through the rain, and then look at this line. A small but still resilient voice says, help is near. And this idea that This is good art. And what art does is it sort of alludes to things. It raises questions and ideas and it describes human experience. And the human experience that it's describing is that it's tough to believe. But somehow in the midst of situations we find that there's help aiding us to believe. And so what Mariah and Whitney are alluding to 
I get to proclaim to you this morning. And the thing that they're pointing at, I get to announce. And so I'd like to invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. If you need a Bible, there's one in the rack in front of you that looks like this. In those Bibles, it's page 798. Matthew chapter 17. If you're here this morning asking the question, how do I get more faith? How do I believe? Maybe you find yourself in a situation and you know miracles are possible when you believe, but you're wondering, how does somebody believe? How do you grow in faith? This is the question that I believe Jesus wants to answer for us this morning. So I'm grateful to Mariah and Whitney for raising the question and alluding to the possible answer. I'm even more grateful to Jesus who is here this morning to announce the answer to that question. So Matthew 17, we begin in verse 14. Matthew 17, verse 14, page 798. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. Did you hear that line in the song, by the way? We were moving mountains. That's an allusion to Matthew 17. But let's not stop here. We've got to read the next couple of verses because they go with our passage. Verse 22, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Now at first glance, this passage appears to be a rebuke. It appears to be Jesus saying, hey, you guys don't have enough faith. This is why good things aren't happening. Miracles happen when you believe. What's the matter with you that you can't believe? And maybe you feel for these poor disciples. I mean, they've seen all of this amazing stuff, but yet they're struggling. And so you think, oh man, I don't have faith. They don't have faith. This is hard stuff. And so at first glance, this passage can look like a negative, discouraging passage. But I actually don't believe that it is. I think if you look beneath the sort of surface reading of it, what you'll find is, is that it's actually an incredibly encouraging passage and that Jesus has something really powerful to say about how faith works. It's not immediately clear in the passage because it wasn't immediately clear to the disciples at the time. However, we can tell that they get it afterwards because of the way Matthew has put together this gospel. So while Matthew is there participating, later on as he's able to reflect at what was actually being said, 
he's positioned this and written it in such a way that it's actually, I hope, quite encouraging. And there's a word from Jesus to you and I that if you have a question, how could I have more faith? That what Jesus has for you this morning is not a rebuke, but an encouragement. To see this, we've really got to dive deeply into the passage. So let's do this together, starting in verses 14 to 16. The story starts with the disciples unable to cast a demon out from a man's son. And so the man then brings the boy to Jesus and says, can you help? But the question we want to start by asking is, why didn't the disciples bring the boy to Jesus? Have you thought about that? Like, okay, here are the disciples. They've got this boy. They can't cast the demon out. You would think at that moment they would say, well, we're not able to do this, but we know somebody who can. And you would think they would bring the boy to Jesus and be like, hey, Jesus, we tried to help this guy. We couldn't do it. Can you fix this? But that's not what happens. The disciples are like, yeah, we can't cast this demon out or this demon's not coming out. And then they just leave. And so the man later on, he comes to Jesus. He's like, hey, I took him to your disciples. They didn't do this. Could you do this? But why didn't the disciples bring the boy to Jesus? I think there's two possible answers to that. They might be related. The first is, is perhaps the disciples thought it wouldn't do any good. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, you might think from this passage that the disciples aren't very good at casting out demons. But that would not actually be the case. See, this is not the first time these disciples have come face to face with demons. In Matthew 10, Jesus has already sent them out to go out into the towns of Israel to cast out demons, and it goes incredibly well. Luke tells us about the sort of debrief that takes place after they get back. Look what it says in Luke chapter 10. The 72, so the disciples are part of that 72, returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This takes place before Matthew 17. So the disciples have authority over spirits, so perhaps they're thinking, hey, look, We've cast out lots and lots of demons. If this demon won't come out, maybe the problem's not with us. Maybe the problem's with the dad or with the kid. Or maybe this demon is not supposed to come out. So one possible reason they don't bring the demon, the child to Jesus, is because they think he already gave us authority over demons. If this demon's not coming out, what are we going to do? There's a second possible reason, and this one's more than just possible. I think this one is at least for sure one of the reasons. And that's because the disciples can't get to Jesus. You see, it says, when they came to the crowd, which ties our story to what came before, and what came before is the transfiguration. And what you have to understand is there's two things happening simultaneously. 
One, Jesus, Peter, James, and John are up on a high mountain experiencing the transfiguration. Meanwhile, at the same time, nine of the 12 disciples are in the valley with this boy trying to cast out the demon. So practically speaking, they can't get the boy to Jesus because they may not know where Jesus is or where he is. They can't get to him. And so they don't take the boy to Jesus. All right, verses 17 to 18. So that boy does come to Jesus, and Jesus says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. And again, at first glance, it may sound like Jesus is like, come on, what is the matter with you guys? Like he's looking at the nine saying, try harder. Can you not figure this out? But I don't think that's what he's saying, partly because Jesus is full of kindness and compassion. And partly because he says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. He's not frustrated with the nine disciples, or at least not frustrated with the nine disciples alone. He's frustrated with the entire generation, meaning all people living at that time. Because the question is, is okay, yeah, the nine disciples can't cast this demon out. But couldn't the dad have cast the demon out? Or what about the town elders? Couldn't they have cast the demon out? Or what about the priests or the Levites? Or what about just getting everybody together? Jesus' frustration is, is that nobody can cast this demon out except him. And that's a problem. That's why he says... How long shall I stay with you? What Jesus is alluding to here is, look, if I'm the only one who can cast out demons, this isn't going to work. Because what we're going to do, we're going to have everybody who has a demon have to fly to Israel and take their child who's struggling with spiritual warfare and take them to Jesus. And is Jesus just going to stand there and just cast out demon after demon after demon with people lined up? How's this going to work when people live in other parts of the world? How are they going to get to Jesus? And Jesus is expressing his frustration, not sort of with the nine disciples that they don't have enough faith. He's expressing frustration with the whole situation, the whole world. Look, the only person on the planet who can cast this demon out is Jesus. That's not a formula for a successful plan. And so Jesus says, how long are we going to do this? Like, how long am I going to be here with you? Like, we can't, this is not going to work. Which leads us to the next section. So disciples come to Jesus in private and say, well, why couldn't we drive it out? And he says, because you have so little faith. And again, it sounds like a rebuke. But we got to be very careful to recognize what's going on. Because remember, these disciples have cast out lots of demons by this point. I actually think when the dad first brings the son to them, they totally have the faith to cast out the demon. I don't think they think when the dad says, hey, couldn't you help me with this? I think the nine are probably like, yeah, of course we can. We've been given authority by Jesus. We've been super successful with this. I think at this point, it's probably disciples 200, demons zero. Like this is the only unsuccessful exorcism that we know about. So I'm thinking the disciples are coming in believing, yeah, we're going to be able to cast this demon out. They're shocked that they couldn't. 
So here's the weird thing. If what Jesus is saying to these nine is, come on, guys, what's the matter with you? The weird thing is they started with faith. They started with the faith to believe they could cast the demon out. And then when they were unsuccessful, now they got questions. They didn't start with questions. They didn't say to the dad, we don't know what to do with this. They know what to do. So what is Jesus saying to them? Well, this is where it's very important to understand what exactly do we mean by faith? If you think faith is the power of positive thinking, if you think faith is the idea of like, I can do this, I know I can do this. If you think faith is, yeah, I've done this before, I'm gonna be okay. If you think that Jesus is saying to them, come on guys, believe in yourselves, you can do this, summon it, remember you've been able to do, you'll miss what's going on here. That's where they are at the beginning. At the end, they're like, what happened? Why in the world did this demon not come out? I don't think faith is the power of positive thinking. I think faith here is the ability to see something that other people can't see. Jesus is seeing something that they're not seeing. And so what he says to the disciples is, you're missing something. You're not seeing what you need to see. What are they missing? This is why we've got verses 22 and 23. This is how I know that although Matthew's in that group of nine, when this happens, that he gets something different now than he did then. If you don't catch verses 22 and 23, you won't understand what's going on in our story. Matthew very consciously says, I can't just tell him that story. I got to put this piece with it. Look what he says. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Now, hold on. For those of you who are Christians here this morning, when I say to you that Jesus died and was raised from the dead, what emotion do you feel? Joy. If I announce to you that Jesus died and is raised from the dead, how do you feel? Joyful. How did they feel? Sad. They're not seeing something that we're seeing. Matthew comes to see it, which why he, was why he writes it this way, but at the moment, he wasn't seeing it either. Now, what are they missing? It's the thing that Mariah and Whitney are alluding to, but don't know how to name. It's the thing that is the key to understanding. Jesus says, the reason this isn't working and the reason the whole plan isn't going to work is because you're not seeing the key piece. What is the key piece? Well, why are we full of joy at somebody's death and resurrection? Well, when the disciples hear this on Good Friday or Monday, Thursday, Jesus says, you're full of grief now, but what you don't understand is that unless I die, the Holy Spirit can't come. 
See, the problem is, is it's not a workable plan for Jesus to be the only one who can cast out demons. It is not a workable plan for Jesus to be present on the earth and to have to get everybody lined up and bring every person to him to cast out all of those demons. And so Jesus says, what you're not seeing is this is not the plan. The plan is, is through death and resurrection, Jesus will be able to be possible, it will be possible for Jesus to be present everywhere instead of just one place. The good news of this passage is what Whitney and Mariah are alluding to. Somebody is present with you in the midst of these situations. Somebody is moving mountains. Somebody is whispering in your ear. Don't be afraid, just believe. Some still small voice is talking to you and me when we find ourselves in these situations and saying to us, don't be afraid. What they're alluding to, Jesus is proclaiming the good news is, is because of his death, burial, and resurrection, that's his voice through the Spirit present with us. Now there's more good news. And the addition to the good news is not only Jesus present with us, he also is helping us to see that he's present with us. If this was a story about, look, try harder to have more faith, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not you and I should try harder. The gospel is what we can't do for ourselves, God in his grace does for us. We can't see, but Jesus is present. And so there's two pieces of good news. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, he's present, not just in one spot, but everywhere. And the second piece of good news is that Jesus is present, helping us to see that he's present, enabling us to have faith. Let me give you an example of what I mean. I normally read our daily bread as part of my kind of daily devotions. And this week on Wednesday, Tim Gustafson uh, had uh, one of his, he wrote the, our daily bread. And he had this story in there, which I thought, perfect. that showed up this week when we're talking about this topic. Can you put the story up? Thank you. He wrote, Ronit came from a religious but non-Christian family. Their discussions about spiritual matters were dry and academic. I kept praying all the prayers, she said, but I wasn't hearing from God. She began to study the Bible. Slowly, steadily, she inched toward faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Ronit describes the defining moment. I heard a clear voice in my heart saying, you've heard enough, you've seen enough. It's time to just believe. Whose voice was that? Jesus' voice through his spirit. This is why we're not filled with grief when we hear that Jesus dies and is raised from the dead. We're filled with joy. Here is the good news of this passage and why at first blush you may think, well, this sounds like a discouraging passage, but when you meet beneath the surface, here's the good news. You and I will never ever find ourselves in the same situation that these nine disciples found themselves in. Meaning, we will never find ourselves in a situation where Jesus is on the mountain 
and we're in the valley by ourselves. This is the good news of this passage. There is no valley you will ever be in that he will not be present with you. The good news is, is why this requires faith. It doesn't require the power of positive thinking. What it requires is, is that in every situation, you and I just got to look around because Jesus is here somewhere. Jesus is present. What's going on in the Middle East right now? Guess who's right there in the middle of it? Jesus. He's leading people to faith in the midst of persecution. When you watch the news, they're not able to see him with their cameras, and so they report, and they're like, well, it's just all terrible stuff here. Yeah, but if you have the eyes of faith, you can see Jesus is still present in the Middle East, doing what he always does, being in control of all things. In the midst of persecution, Jesus is present when Satan is going through stuff with you, when he's lying to you and telling you you'll never be forgiven for the abortion that you had or that this pornography thing will continue to destroy your life or that you're a terrible person, Jesus is right there with you saying, don't believe those lies. When you sit down to do your monthly budget and you're like, where is the money? Guess who's sitting at the table with you? Jesus, right there present with you. When you're about to get on a plane and you're feeling claustrophobic or when you're going to go to the hospital and you're not, guess who's going with you? Jesus. Jesus. You see, the truth of the matter is nobody can cast out a demon except Jesus. But the good news is because of Jesus' death and resurrection, you and I will never ever be in a situation without Jesus. And so what he's saying in this passage is it does take faith. That's not a rebuke, like come on, try harder. It's what Whitney and Mariah are acknowledging. In every situation, it feels like somebody's there. And what these artists have done a great job at least pointing to is it feels like somebody's present. It feels like somebody's helping us to believe. And what they are alluding to, the Spirit is proclaiming this morning, that person is Jesus. That Jesus is the one with you. Jesus is the one helping you get through this. And when you look back at that trial and you say, how in the world did I make it through this? The answer is Jesus. He never once left you. You will never be in the valley while he's on the mountain. Every valley you go through, he will go through with you. It's not a workable plan to be like, well, you just got to go to this one spot. This one spot is where Jesus is. And so the beauty of what God has done and the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. He says, you're filled with grief now, but if you only understood what's going on, if you only grasped how much the father loves you, God loves you and me so much that he never, ever wants us to go through something by ourselves.